Oh, hello. I apologize. I didn't see you there. Welcome in, dear listener. Welcome you, weary traveler and faithful friend. Join me on our inaugural edition of the Papcast Presents a special mailbag with Jeff. Live from my lavish bookshelved studio, my private study, where I spend all of my quiet hours, where I seek respite from the day, lined wall to wall with ancient tomes provided by Roman Statler, innumerable good luck charms and wisdom tokens from Justin Cassatt, and an entire wall of whoopee cushions so that Django Boren will never be uncomfortable. Come with me, come with me, and let us engage in a conversation where you and I will explore the depths of ourselves, the unknown, and the wonderful illustrated fiction with which we love. the study um why are we here a question you might be asking uh not an invalid one why why are we uh going to be party to the creaks and cracks of the wicker chair of jeff's room um i hand built it to mimic the wicker uh chair in the reading wing of my childhood home of course so consider every creak of that wicker a gift from me to you um we are here in the first edition of the Mailbag episode uh, between sips of tea to discuss Amazing Spider-Man Full Circle number one. Why are we doing that? Because here uh, have some some uh, some context, everybody. We about a month ago at the shop uh, started making these cool flyers for Wednesday, with which we could put beneath the comic books to let everyone know what we're planning on talking about on the podcast that week. It's a pretty good idea. The shortcoming of that is, of course, that it's Wednesday. That means we've only had a couple hours with the books, and we have about 24 hours after that to record the podcast. Um, what that means is that sometimes we have to make predictions for the things that we're going to talk about, and sometimes we predict those wrong. Is what we're learning through this new process. While they're helpful, they're also problematic. Such is life. But um, on the maybe the first week of having them, we put one of those flyers underneath Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man Full Circle, and we'd planned to talk about it on the podcast, anchored mostly by the idea, you know, Jeff thinking, wow, Jonathan Hickman's name is credited on there, so I'm definitely going to read that. The other side of that is that this comic book is 84 pages, and then it has six additional pages of text in the back. That is a lot of comic book. That's a good and bad thing. The tricky thing of that is trying to get that entire thing read within the sort of 36 hours that we have uh, before recording the podcast. And in general, if I haven't made it clear, I usually will put the comics that I'm either most excited about or want to give the most attention to at the back of my stack or the biggest ones because it's important to me and I think the other people on the podcast at the shop to get as many books read as we can to have the most uh, informed opinion. So 
So that's the justification. We missed shot, and Will Elmer has been week in, week out, wanting a review of this book to decide whether or not he should get it. That's a really valid point, because this comic book is $9.99, and like I said, it's 90 pages, but it's, uh, it's a bit of an investment. So the question is, do you get this book or not? Uh, so that's kind of what we're doing here. I'm gonna just going to provide a, re a review of this single issue and also some thoughts about whether or not it's worth the $10 to get it. Uh, 1087 with tax. That's right. I work retail, so I know what 999 rounds to pretty often. So let's crunch a little crunch a little bit of math here first. This is about an $11 issue. It's going to be about 90 pages, which means we're spending, if my mental math is right, which it seldom is, about 11 cents per page. And you can compare that to a standard comic book, which is, let's say, $4.99 instead of $3.99, and is optimistically, you know, you might get 30 pages out of it. So if we look at some of the Hickman, House of X, Powers of Ten, and Dawn of X books, we're looking at about 30-ish pages for about $5, and that number crunches down to, again, sorry if I'm wrong, about 16 cents per page. So in terms of sheer value of this comic book, uh, it's there. It's a better cost per page than your other ones, but, you know, I'm no economist. But it always makes sense. You get a slightly better value if they can get you to spend more money. So that's exactly what's happened here. Let's get some credits going. This book is written and drawn by Jonathan Hickman, Chris Pachalo, Gary Duggan, Greg Smallwood, Nick Spencer, Mike Allred, Kelly Thompson, Valerio Shitty, Al Ewing, Chris Sprouse, Chip Zdarsky, Rachel Stott, Jason Aaron, Cameron Stewart, and Mark Bagley. What the hell? How could there be so many creators on this book that doesn't make any sense well it's 90 pages so we get that there's some interesting stuff going on i think one of the coolest parts of this book is it's sort of the conceit of what it is and if you don't know this is kind of a jam session book which in my mind was sort of brought to my attention through people like Brian Bendis doing big anniversary issues where you'd have, you know, four pages or so done by a different artist or maybe even like as many as 15 or 20 artists on it, each doing a different page of the book. That can be really cool at times. It can also feel really disjointed and, and disconnected and sort of uh, haphazard. I wouldn't say that this book is totally immune from that, but I do think that it's really interesting to watch or, or read that type of uh, creative exercise. Comic books, you can be reading for enjoyment, you can be reading it for satisfaction or catharsis, or you can do it out of a sort of curiosity for how people uh, behave and create in a certain medium. This particular book follows up something that DC had done, I want to say, about a year ago, uh, which means nothing if you're listening to this far off of the time that it was released, but... Uh, so be it. It was about a year ago, DC did a thing called the Commandy Challenge, maybe a year and a half even at this point. And what that was is they did a 10 or 12 issue maxi series about Commandy, the Jack Kirby creation, The Last Boy on Earth. And each issue was to be written and drawn by a different creative team. And it was, each, it was supposed to start each issue by getting out of the situation that had been immediately presented, going on a single issue adventure, and then uh, having a big cliffhanger and then passing the torch off to another creative team, and they were only supposed to be informed about what the cliffhanger at the end of the last issue was. 
That's what this oversized issue has done, but instead of doing 10 or 12 issues entirely from different creative teams, we get nine or so different stories by these different creative teams. And I'm told that they were just instructed on, on what the cliffhanger of the previous issue was, and then maybe like one or so, so story elements. There's this pervasive plot device of some mysterious person they refer to as the man in the box that it goes through all of the short stories. So there's... Uh, there's something there uh, in terms of the information that were, they were all given. So how did it pan out? How did it all work out? 90 pages, 1087 with you, you know, with a bag and board, you're looking at $11. It panned out pretty well. It had some of the trappings that you would expect from a book like this. At times it was a little bit self-indulgent. Um, at times it was a bit aimless. At times it was a bit disjointed all of the things that I listed that could be problematic in a, you know an execution like this it was there however it also had some of the more beautiful art that I've seen in uh, just sort of monthly comic books in quite a while uh, with the likes of Chris Pachalo who it's been a minute since we've seen Greg Smallwood who I always love Mike Allred who is just like you know a pop acid explosion in your eyeballs which I'm, I'm very into uh, Cameron Stewart, you know, a couple other folks, Mark Bagley, who were very opinionated about on the show, but I actually, it's some pretty good Mark Bagley in this one. So, I feel like he had a bit of a lull for several years there, but he's really been coming out of it with uh, Spider-Man Life Story, um, with this, this short story. It's pretty cool art. I think it, determining the sort of value or how much you're going to get out of this comic book is really going to depend on the type of reader that you are. I think that as a whole story, it doesn't exactly land for me. And, I, you know, Andrew Carlson, friend of the show, I think it was maybe his pick of the week, the week that it came out, which was about three or four weeks ago. It was also, or maybe it was, you know, second to pick of the week for him. But uh, it's definitely a book that is has been loved by some. I think as a standalone story, while I do think that they really nailed the landing and sort of tied the whole story up in a cohesive way that, that was pretty cathartic. I think that there was a, a big middle chunk there where I was kind of like, all right, what's going on here? Let's get through this. That <laughs> kind of coincides coincidentally with all of the werewolf stuff in it. Yeah, there's about 40 pages of werewolf stuff in here. That means Roman's probably excited. Are all my werewolf boys down at the shop? Oh. Um, but it's, it's, it gets a little plodding and meandering there. I like getting to see a jam session, everybody, but I also like, I'm, you know, on record on the podcast, like, I really like when it feels like there's a grand design, no pun intended, Tom Shuley and Ed Piscor, a grand design behind a comic book. Hickman's pretty notorious for that. Grant Morrison's pretty notorious for that. I like having a lot of faith in my creators. Uh, I'm looking at you, God. Uh, a lot of faith in, in, in the issue going somewhere. So, like, when you are in the doldrums of the issue, you're, you're sort of moved along by a, a sense of faith that it's it's all fitting into a larger picture and it's meant to be there. When you have a bunch of people who aren't communicating in, intentionally in a creative way, it's harder to have that sense of faith that it's all adding up into a larger story. So about a third of the way through it, I started to go into this, like, okay, we got to get through this mode. And then in the final third or so, it actually kind of made me pretty excited to know what was going on. There's some pretty funny stuff in it. I think that's probably the tone that's going to be most prevalent when you have a bunch of people working together on a book. 
and it's not a, a singular creator, if that makes sense. I think it's easier for someone uh, individually to know where they want deep emotional bits to hit. But if you got a bunch of people working together without knowing the full scope of it, it's easier to, I think, kind of make jokes. And, and that is a large bit of the tone of this book. But that's also a large bit of the tone of just sort of Spider-Man stuff in general. I'm actually tempted to take that back because Spider-Man, pretty jokey at times, but he also can have some of the more impactful emotional hits out there. One thing I was excited about, you know, about two-thirds of the way through this was kind of putting a creative team to each of these nine segments because there is certainly ones I liked more than others and ones I liked less than others. The Jonathan Hickman one didn't have that Hickman stank that a lot of Hickman stuff does, so it didn't hit me quite as much as I would like. The Gary Duggan stuff was, was fine. The big strength of that was the Greg Smallwood art, which I just love. He's got this sort of airbrush style that's, that's sort of fuzzy and warm. I really like that. Nick Spencer and Mike Allred were okay together. Kelly Thompson and Valerio Shitty was really uh, the bulk of the wolf, like the, the werewolf stuff. So I liked that the least, but the Valerio Shitty stuff, did. there was some nice art there. I think my favorite bit was the Al Ewing Chris Sprouse bit. And in that, Spider-Man's kind of been turned into a werewolf himself, but the way that he's sort of talking himself down from that or getting through it is he has these three spider ham visions in his head start talking to him almost like the ghost of christmas present past and yet to come or like the devil and angel on your shoulder one is uh, the fantastic four spider ham with a paper bag on his head from when spider-man had to escape the, ba the baxter building and he had no costume uh the other is a black suit spider ham like the symbiote and there's just a classic looking one but i really liked that black suit spider-man Spider-Ham, really, was providing this internal dialogue for him the whole time that was really angsty and guilt-laden and embodied the voice in his head that kind of can't ever allow himself to move on or get past the guilt or regret that he has for what happened to his uncle. And I think that that was like a pretty comical way to bring up some of the pretty deep stuff about Spider-Man. And, and, and there are moments of that throughout the entire comic book, but that probably was the most poignant to me in which... The idea that Spider-Man really can't ever move beyond that. He can't, on a personal level, he also can't from uh, an industrial Marvel machine level. Like, he is stuck in Amber as a character who's got great power, great responsibility, haunted by the death of his uncle that he was responsible for. So, I, I understand, uh, you know, you've got to create mechanisms for that. And I, I think they did a really elegant one in here, and I liked that very much. Um, Chip Zdarsky's writing was not as funny as I would have thought, which I think is good because I, I'm on record as kind of preferring his more serious, heartfelt stuff than his humor stuff. I think the humor stuff's more prevalent when he's doing the art himself. When he's writing, I think he taps into something that he probably doesn't show as often. There's certainly things in this issue that I'm forgetting. Uh, I also love the luxury of bouncing all of this stuff off my wonderful counterparts, but today we're doing mailbag and we're doing it solo from the studio where, you know, if you hear any clatterings and bangings, it's because in this luscious, beautiful, um, mahogany-filled, oak-stained, stained-glass windowed, beautiful space, it also doubles as the, the cat the cat room. So if you hear any clatterings and bangings at any point, it's because the cats are in here. Probably making poops. Probably making poops. I'm sorry. They're just doing it. They're making poops. Um, yeah, this is, this is 90 pages of pretty good Spider-Man stuff. I think from a comic book perspective, I don't, if you're looking for a good Spider-Man story, I don't know that this is exactly your one, but that that's not 
to say it's not totally worth worth it in a different regard. But what I mean by that is that if you are coming into the comic shop and you've got about $20 to spend on your week of books, which is going to get you either four or five books, the question is, is this single issue worth two and a half of those books? And I have to think about it in terms of budget like that because you know, I work at the shop and I want to make sure people can get the most comic book they can and we're all limited um, by finances, right? You know, Nobody just gets to read all the comics that they want. Uh, so, you know, is this one worth maybe two, two and a half of the other books that are out in a given week? I question that. However, if you're like me and you really like seeing behind the scenes of a, of a creative thing, um, I just bought uh, Sam's brother-in-law, like the annotated Watchmen, because I just love that type of thing. I love annotations. I love seeing what the creators were thinking as a work was being done. It's very illuminating to me. I've often talked about it, but art to me is something that I appreciate on a lot of different ways, but one of the primary ones is it sort of acts as a window to see the creator through. You learn a lot about people by the the pervasive ideas that they present in their art, because it's sort of a conversation that they're having with themselves, much like this moment in my life right now. So on that note, a really cool thing in this issue is there's like six pages of email correspondence between all the creators, particularly the writers, at the end of this. And I loved seeing that. I loved seeing the emails from the people who were like, kind of just threw one thought in there and then realized that they should probably just get out of the way and let these seven people you know, f you know, figure out how they're going to wrap up this story that no one knows the whole picture of. I, I really liked seeing, you know, Jonathan Hickman just not really involve himself in it because he was probably too busy doing other stuff. I love uh, Kelly Thompson was sick, so she didn't really contribute much at the end uh, there. Chip Zdarsky also was just like, I'm just a funny guy. You guys wrap this up however you want. And then you have Gary Duggan and Nick Spencer, um, Tom Brevoort, the editor, uh, all kind of getting together. Al Ewing, I can't remember if I said him. Um, really getting their hands dirty with trying to work together and demonstrate having an idea, putting that on the table, but also wanting to respect the ideas of the people around you. So if that's a thing that's interesting to you, it's really interesting to me because I'm always really curious about collaborative experiments. How do you, in a constructive way, deal with each other and, and make a thing while respecting one another, but also trying to put what you think is a good idea and your best foot forward? That's fascinating to me, just on a person-to-person -person level. So that actually added quite a bit of value to me at the end, getting a little bit of extra personality from all these people that made this comic book. It's a unique one, folks. Is it worth it? Yes and no. I'm sorry I don't have a com concrete answer for you. And I think that this would have been a probably goof-filled conversation if we were to have actually had it on the podcast. But it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting book, and I think it's definitely worth supporting because comic books exist much like their characters in a sort of creative stasis in that there the deadlines stay consistent the publishers stay consistent the characters have to stay consistent so i think any time that you can kind of uh, electroshock uh, the comic book process or the industry it, then it's beneficial and it pushes it forward in some way i don't think any creative endeavor is always or ever perfect this one consistent with that idea but it's it's an interesting exploit i think that you know, if you really want to check it out or even just read those conversations in the back, come into the shop and just, you know, we'd be happy to let you read it. We do have a couple of these copies left. If you're a huge Spider-Man fan, this is worth that. I bet Roman really, really dug this because he, you know, it didn't have Bendis in it. Nah, uh, because it, it's just a sort of a love letter to Spider-Man. But I did find it sort of annoying at times. I just wanted closure and I could have done... 
I could have done with about two fewer segments. I think I could have taken the werewolf stuff out. I do want to get to the very end of it, which is they did a fantastic job of elegantly wrapping this up. And that's kind of what those email conversations in the back are, is how do we create an ending to this, which, you know, for its in production, didn't have one. And they created an ending that really spoke to the mythos of Spider-Man, gave him a bit of closure, or at least allowed him to have some personal growth. Like, he learned something important to Spider-Man in this. Spoilers, Will. I know you haven't read this issue yet, because that's what this is about. Should you get it? Is it worth it? I'm going to talk about the end here, so jump forward a little bit. But it's a sort of travel, time travel loop story, is what this is at its heart. And there's this person behind a door that's consistently brought up, and it's actually Spider-Man from the future trying to get him to do something else, because there's been a device that's built that any time an apocalypse-like event happens, it takes the person who is responsible for it or there with it and takes their consciousness and sends it back in time. Not unlike what happens with Moira McTaggart in uh, House of X number two, which also had that Hickman on it. In doing so, Spider-Man kind of created a lesson out of that that is built around the idea of moving on and, and also, like, you can't always be handling the responsibility of the death of your uncle. Like, at some point, you need to deal with the day-to-day things that are happening. You have to be a person, and, and throughout this issue, it's Aunt May's birthday. And he kind of neglects it to be saving the world, which is, you know, classic Spider-Man stuff. But it, uh, it, it really, you know, it didn't make me tear up, but it hit those emotional beats where if you're somebody like me that deals with a lot of regret or a lot of guilt or just the inability to move on, I spend some time every day thinking about the choices in my past that I could have made or that I wish that I had made or the things that would be different. They would put me in an entirely different spot in my life. And ultimately, thinking about those things, it doesn't do any good. I mean, it can help us change our perspective of how we're going to respond to situations similar to that in the future, but there's no reason to pine over those events from your past. Ultimately, it just creates a ghost or a program that, that operates with you and becomes a part of your operating system. And ultimately makes you flawed you know your memories and your experiences are are built into you and whether you think about them or not you've been changed by them and again thinking about them or not thinking about them your actions and responses to things will forever be changed by everything that's happened before you that's pretty highfalutin uh navel gaze stuff but that's you know what i got out of this and i think that they really did they did a good job of doing a jam session experiment kind of aped the format from dc but really put a, a, a pretty satisfying bow on the end of it. It was funny. It was fun. The art was gorgeous. Mike Allred, you don't get a lot of Mike Allred, except for when he you know trips back to do ecstatics issues or whatever. But this was, uh, this was a good, this was a pretty good book. What would I give it? I'd give it, I'd give it a seven. It is, it was good. It was not perfect. It had some bits in it that I wish weren't there. But overall, I'm happy that I read it. And I'm happy that Will Elmer, week in, has has, uh, harassed me about putting it on the podcast. I guess I'm going to go finish reading the stack of books that I'll use to record tonight's podcast with everybody at the shop. I um, don't know how to wrap a solo one of these up. So I guess I will simply go back to smoking my corncob pipe sipping my fine sticky rice flavored tea and sitting in my bathrobe in this fine wicker chair waiting for my cats to join me as they make poopsies next to my creative studio. I invite all of you to join me next time in the mailbag room 
I enjoy uh, being here, speaking to you. I enjoy all of this. Thank you so much for being a part of our family. And I will see you next time as we venture out of the mailbag and continue to gaze into the stars. Now you, now you, dear listener, never, ever fear.